Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. He understands what we're made of. He understands our character, our lack of. He knows everything. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. We're going to be in John chapter 1. I entitled this message... Come and see. Have you ever seen something that was nothing short of, well, incredible? Something that you have never seen before. Well, if you're anything like me, you wish that others could see what you're seeing at that very moment. Yes, some people have claimed to see many things. Everything from the crazy to the bizarre. But could you imagine seeing something that has never been seen before? Like the God-man. The one who would deliver us from our present turmoil of sin and death. As we continue in our study through the gospel of John, we'll pick up in verse 35. It says, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, of course, this isn't John that wrote the gospel of John. This is John the Baptist. And we looked at him in detail last time. So again, John the Baptist is standing there with two of his disciples. And he looked upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and beheld them following, and he said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated, means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Well, come, and you will see. And they came, therefore, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. They're just hanging out here with Jesus. Now, again, last week, we looked at John the Baptist. His calling was recorded by the prophets of the Old Testament. His mission was clearly spelled out by Isaiah the prophet, where Isaiah said he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness to make ready the way of the Lord. So he was to make ready the way of the Lord. He was the forerunner, you would say, of the Messiah. And now it was time for him to decrease as Jesus would increase. I wonder if we've come to that point yet in our own individual lives, that we are decreasing as Jesus is increasing. Because in this culture, the society that we live in, we're always trying to advance ourselves. We're trying to become more popular. We're trying to climb the corporate ladder, become more powerful. We're trying to get the most likes on our comments on our social media page. And how many followers do you have? All of these things. But really, we're to 
decrease as Jesus would increase inside of us. That just simply means that as people look into our eyes, they should see less of us, the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I, and more of him, more of Jesus, where they would see him in my life. See, John the Baptist said to his disciples, as Jesus was walking by, behold the Lamb of God. This was the third day of everything coming to a head for John the Baptist. His entire life, his calling from the foundation of the earth has now found its pinnacle in these last three days. All the time he spent preparing All the time that John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness, all of his baptizing for the forgiveness of sins has now come to a screeching halt. It's come to an end, for the Messiah has come. Two days earlier, John said in verse 26 that there was one standing among them that was greater than him. The next day, John said, with power and passion, he says, behold, that word behold means stop, look and see the lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And now here, the third day, he stands next to his own prime disciples. And he says it once again, he says, behold, the lamb of God, again, declaring to all that were hearing his voice, would you stop? Would you look? Would you see? This is who you must seek after now. It's time to stop following me. You must seek and follow after him. Know this. There was a reason that they were following John the Baptist in the first place. For he was not like any other. He was not like the dead and boring religious leaders of his day. John was a radical. He was literally on fire. He had a holy passion and a holy desire to not draw attention to himself, but rather to what was coming. Yet nobody had ever seen one like John the Baptist. He had such focus. He had such a voice of passion inside. He had a lifestyle of action and a message of total and complete repentance to get right with the living God. Yet, the time had come for John the Baptist to step aside. And all of the focus to now be placed on Jesus. As John tells his followers again in verse 36, Behold, look, the Lamb of God has come. Yes, Jesus was God in the flesh. And he came to die for the sin of all humanity. And now John here points him out for all the world to see. Well, two of his disciples who heard him saying this, they literally and instantly followed Jesus. So Jesus turned around and he said to these two young men, what do you seek? Well, they didn't really know what to say, probably a little nervous here. So they just asked him, well, where do you live? How about that? And Jesus said to them, well, come and see. Yes, like most people, we really don't have a clue what we're seeking for, do we? We just know we haven't found it yet. I wonder how many people in our sphere of life would be open to us saying, why don't you come and see my church? For the living God is alive and he's moving there. 
See, there are so many people in Los Angeles that are seeking for so many things, yet not finding any of them. That's why there are so many liquor stores, one on every corner. We have all these, you know, pop places that are popping up. There's drugs that are flowing, all of these things. There's all kinds of vices here in Los Angeles because people are seeking and they're not finding. There's so many therapists here. So many people have their own therapists because they're finding success. They're making more money than they've ever made, but yet again, they're not finding finding anything that completes them on the inside. Now notice, they didn't know what to say or to do except for this one thing, and that was to get to know this Jesus that John the Baptist had pointed out. And they were willing to come and see. Understand, Jesus was not only wanting us to come to him, but he wants us to come to know him. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship to be part of his plan. Understand, following Jesus is not joining some dead religion. It's not about walking in this life with a blindfold on. Jesus has great purpose for you and for me. He wants us to be used in his master plan of bringing salvation and hope to this sinful world that we live in. Yes, make no mistake about it, people need hope when we consider all the chaos that's in our country today, all the division. Yes, this side of heaven, life can be hard, no matter who we are or where we live, because this world is full of pitfalls. This world is full of distractions. And every time we refuse to go and see all that God desires us to see, the farther away we stray from God's perfect will for our lives. Did you get that? The farther away we stray from God's perfect will, we stray from his perfect plan for us. Notice what these two disciples did in verse 39. It simply says, they came and they saw. Yes, by following the Lord, they ended up seeing more than they could have ever imagined. For they saw who Jesus really was, that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the Savior of the world. Now we'll see just how this new information in their lives affected their lives. Let's pick up and read in John chapter 1, verse 40. It says, Now one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon. And he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. We'll stop there for a moment. Yes, there was something so much more for Andrew than just seeing where Jesus lived. He was cut to his own hearts. He knew that he knew that this Jesus was the promised Messiah, and he couldn't contain it. He had to tell somebody about it. So he immediately goes to his own brother, who just happened to be Peter, who will become the apostle Peter. I could imagine Andrew almost jumping out of his skin. I mean, think about it. How would you have done what he did? Would you have casually walked up to your brother? Hey, 
I was fishing today, Peter, you know. Hey, did you catch anything? Hey, how's the wife? Hey, what do you do last night? Did you go to the movies? I mean, it's like, oh, by the way, I was talking to, you know, Jesus, the Messiah, you know, the long-awaited Savior of the world. Yeah, he's actually God in the flesh, the creator of the universe. I mean, how would you have said it? You wouldn't have done that. You would have done what Andrew probably did. He probably ran up to his brother, completely out of breath, fell at his feet and says, you have to come right now. You have to see this right now. Hurry, let's go. I can see him grabbing his cloak. He brought him to Jesus. And it said in verse 42 that Jesus looked at him. This could be better translated as saying, Jesus looked right through Peter. Yet Jesus clearly saw everything about him as he knows everything about you and me. The Bible says that God has searched us. Meaning that he has explored us. He has penetrated us. He knows the very core of our being. Meaning, God doesn't just look on the outside, how you do your hair, how you're dressed today, how you wear your makeup. Talking about girls there, but anyway, whatever, okay? But it's like, you know, he doesn't just look at our outward appearance. He looks through us. He understands what we're made of. He understands our character, our lack of. He knows everything. And here, notice the first thing that Jesus did was change his name from Simon to Peter. Now, Peter means a small stone, a rock, kind of a chip off the old block kind of thing. Yet Peter seemed to be the polar opposite of a rock. Why? Because Peter had so many flaws. He was kind of flamboyant. Peter was definitely impetuous. And he's always seemed to put his foot into his mouth. I mean, think about the up and down life that Peter had with Jesus, like the time Jesus came walking on the water. The disciples thought he was a ghost. You remember the story. They were told to get in the boat and go to the other side. It was the Sea of Galilee, and it was at night. It was late. There's no lights out. It's pitch black, and a big storm came up. And they were fighting and, and just, you're trying to struggle to try to get the boat to the other side and they couldn't get there and they were being swept away and all of this and they were getting afraid and it was a little creepy. It's pitch black and the wind's blowing and all this stuff and, you know, they're a little freaked out. So Jesus decided to just walk to the other side on top of the water. And it seemed like he was just going to pass the boat by and just keep on walking. And when they saw him, I guess he was like glowing the dark Jesus at the moment. They thought it was a ghost and they were all freaking out. But it was Peter that said, Lord, if that's you, say that I can come out of the boat and walk over to you. And so Jesus says, okay, well, come on. So Peter jumps out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. Now, we're not told exactly what happened. Maybe he turned around to the other disciples like, hey, guys, look at this. You know, it's like, you know, who knows what he was doing? You know, but maybe a wave came up and smacked him upside the head. All we know is somehow he took his eyes off of Jesus and then he immediately started to sink in the water. He cried out to the Lord, oh, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down, picked him up and put him back into the water. Well, it just kind of tells us, you know, make sure you don't take your eyes off of Jesus. But that's the first time that Peter lived up to his new name. And how is that? 
Because when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he sank like a rock, you know. But anyway, then there was another time when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. I could see Peter thinking like, all oh, these other disciples, they're not getting it. There's a, there's a bigger message here, and they're all missing it. So when Jesus came to wash Peter's feet, he says, no, Lord, you will not wash my feet. And then Jesus just simply looked into the eyes of Peter and said, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no place in my kingdom. Peter then said, well, give me a whole bath. Get the rubber ducky out. You know, it's like, you know, and Jesus says, no, you don't need a whole bath. I'll just wash the feet. Okay. And then there was Peter's famous foot in the mouth comment on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember what happened there? Jesus allowed only Peter, James, and John to go with him. And he went up on the Mount and he was praying. And this is a typical thing in the Bible. You'll find where Jesus is praying and the disciples fall asleep. Well, this is where Jesus revealed his true identity. Because when Peter woke up, he saw Jesus shining like the sun. His clothes were as white and bright as you could imagine. And he's talking to Moses and Elijah. How would you like to wake up to that? He's like, oh my goodness. So Peter, instead of just observing this unbelievable thing that he's watching, he starts talking. It's like, you know, Lord, it's good that we're here. You know, I could see Moses and Elijah. Who's that? You know, it's like, it's good that we're here. We'll build three tabernacles, one for you, Jesus, one for you, Moses, and one for you, Elijah. And then that's when the voice came and the father spoke to him from heaven and said, uh, yes, Peter, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. It was a nice way of saying, shh, quiet. Listen to him. This is why my wife will tell me at times, not all things need to be spoken. Yes, that's a good part of marriage counseling. You know, you don't always have to comment on every little thing. You can be quiet. Okay, yes. Uh, Then there was the granddaddy of them all. This happened at the Last Supper. Jesus said to his disciples that one of them would forsake him. Now, of course, Jesus was talking about Judas Iscariot, the dirty rat that was going to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. But of course, that's when Peter stood up and says, you know, Lord, though all of these chumps here will deny you, I will never deny you. I mean, think about just the scenario there. Here you are with the 12 disciples. You've got these faithful men that have been following Jesus for three and a half years of his earthly ministry. This is the night that they're going to literally capture Jesus and start beating him and preparing him to be hung on the cross. So Jesus is just saying, look, someone's going to deny me here. And Peter's like, oh yeah? Though all of these little riffraff guys here deny you, I will not deny you. Well, pride goes out before a fall. And that's where Jesus looked at Peter and said, you know, Peter, before the rooster crows this morning, this is probably, who knows, midnight, one o'clock in the morning, before the rooster crows this morning, in just a few hours, you will have already denied me three times. And it's like, could you imagine hearing that from the Lord? But that's exactly what happened. And he did deny him three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly because of that. Yes, Peter was a man who was really like us, was he not? He had so many great intentions in his own heart. He so desired to do what was right. He so wanted to be strong and unfailing in his walk with the Lord. Yet many times he just simply fell flat on his face. 
Yet God used Peter. And God restored him. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled the church, he was the one that God used to preach to the whole crowd, and 3,000 people made commitments to the Lord. Yes, Peter eventually lived up to the name that Jesus had given him, the rock. And why is that? Because when Jesus looked at Peter in verse 42, he saw Peter in a way that no one else could ever see Peter. Not for who he was at that very moment, but who he would become in Jesus. And that's how Jesus sees you and me here today. Do you know that? Not for what we are today, as some of us, even here today, are struggling in our spiritual lives with sin and other issues. But rather, Jesus sees who we can become as we're filled with his Holy Spirit, as we start denying ourselves and having less of us and more of him. Yes, once Peter died to himself, once he lived for Jesus, his life was radically changed, which caused those around him to radically change also. See, that is the fruit of our lives being changed. It will change the lives of others. Now listen, if you look at your life and no one else around you is changing, then maybe you're not really changed. Maybe they're not seeing anything in your life. Maybe they're not looking at you like, geez, I don't know what you have, but I want what you have. And if they're not saying that and they're not seeing that, then maybe we haven't allowed the Lord to really change us. But again, where did that all start in Peter's life? It all started with his brother Andrew, who came to him and introduced him to Jesus. And speaking of Andrew introducing Peter to Jesus, do you know that every time we read of Andrew in the Bible, he is always bringing someone and introducing someone to Jesus? Do you remember when the multitudes were following Jesus and they were really hungry and weary? There was like 5,000 people following Jesus. And that 5,000 was just men. It wasn't counting the women and the children. So this could have been a crowd of, who knows, 12, 15,000 people with the wives and the kids and all of that. And it's like they came and Jesus says, well, you guys should feed them, he said to the disciples. And the disciples are like, feed them? Are you serious? We don't have any food. We can't feed these people. But yet it was Andrew that said in John chapter 6, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. So it was Andrew who said, look, I don't know how we're going to feed these people, but here's a boy, Jesus, and he brought him to Jesus. He's got five little barley loaves and two fish. God took that from that introduction from Andrew, and he fed that twelve to 15,000 people. Or what about the time that the Greeks came looking for Jesus? There was Gentiles. Now we know that Jesus came for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile, the non-Jew. And so there was these Gentile men. They came seeking after Jesus. They said, look, we want to talk to him. Notice, it was Andrew that brought those men to Jesus and introduced them to Jesus. Yes, whenever we read about Andrew in the Bible, we always see him bringing someone to Jesus. Could you imagine if the same could be said of you and me? 
that we would be remembered for always bringing people to Jesus, that we would be remembered for doing, it's like, hey, listen, that's the guy that invited me to church. That's when I gave my life to Christ is because so-and-so invited me. You know, we have certain people here and well, you know who you are. And it's just like, every time I see you, you're always introducing me to someone at the back door. Like, oh, I brought my neighbor. I brought this person. I brought that person. I just, here's a relative. There's, you know, whatever. And they just, people are coming. And it's like, but it's always that one handful of people here. Shouldn't it be with all of us? that we're reaching out to the lost and the lonely here in Los Angeles. Do you have any lost and lonely around in your life? Is there anyone that's maybe, you know, just caught up in a little bit of sin that maybe you could just say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you check it out? Why don't you do what Jesus said? Come and see. Why don't you come and check it out? Yes, when we read about him, that's what Andrew did. Moving on, let's look what it says here in John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, the next day, he, Jesus, purposed to go forth into Galilee. And he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Interesting. All right, so now the King James says that he went forth, which he did. But it was because he purposed to go forth. Yes, Jesus purposed. In the Greek, it means that Jesus determined to go. He desired to go. He intended to go. It was his plan to go. And why did Jesus purpose and plan to go into Galilee? Because he had a preordained meeting with Philip. Philip didn't know this, but the Lord did. And God did the same for you and for me. He determined to reach out to us at some point in our lives. He desired to know us. He intended to save us and give us the hope of heaven. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789 Los Angeles, California 90034. 